0: Okay, so mission part two, not missions. That's coming. Just hang on there, you know, because it's almost November. But mission part two, and title this morning is: We need to put an end to boring church. Somebody say, "Amen." Hey, man, I hope we've done that around twenty nine eleven. I hope you're not bored. And I said in the second service, probably scared everybody to death, and I'm gonna scare you to death, I said, you know, really, if you're bored at twenty nine eleven, you probably belong somewhere else, you know. But I mean, I, I really hope you're not bored at twenty nine eleven. You know that, you know. But if we're going to put an end to boring church, we got to figure out what the church really is. Okay, what is church? Right, it's not this building, isn't it? But I've been to some boring church building. Y'all ever been to a boring church building? You know, the the church, the building, was just boring, it kind of put you to sleep before you even got in and heard the long message. We we pastors preach, right? Or, or uh, most people, though, when they talk about uh, boring church, they're talking about the worship service being boring, right? Well, the reason worship is boring is only if the people doing the worship are boring, right? I mean, if really, we, uh, if we have a boring, or we are a boring church, if we are, we have nobody to blame but ourselves. So quit being boring. Stop being, if you're a boring church person, if you're a boring Christian, quit being boring out there in, in, in you know, in the world. All right, All right. Now, who is our example? example, great example of everything in life, of how to live life and all those things. Okay, let me, let me just walk you through a little something here. Why did Jesus come 2,000 years ago to this world? To die for us, or sins, or something, I don't know exactly, I got to, to die for us, right? He came to die for us, to die for our sins, right? And now, if, if you've never heard that before, and somebody told you that, it would be reasonable, I think, for you to logically conclude that when he came, he came as a, you know, 25, 30-year-old or something, you know, went to the cross, died first us, went back to heaven, right? I mean, that's what you'd think. And then, you know, you you say that, something like that, and then then the person explaining it to you said, no, oh, no, 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 he, he came as a baby. An and if it, then you're thinking, a baby died for my sin on a cross, and he said, "No, no, 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 no! He lived, you know. He grew up, and he went to school. Of course, it wasn't school like you and I, I think, but it was. He, he had he had instruction. He went to school, you know. He went to church. We know the two instances in his in his uh, uh, you know childhood that we know of. We went, and he went several times. It recorded in in uh, in his adulthood as well. So he went to church, you know. He went to school. He he you know he went to market. Uh, you know he had to do those kinds of things. He went to work because. You know, he helped his dad in the family business of carpentry, you know. He went and did all those things, you know. And when he finally gets to Calvary, when he finally gets to the cross, and he's hanging there on the cross, he's he's not thinking back over that last 32, 33 years, something like that, and remembering all that he went through, the friends he made, the enemies he made, you know, all the tough stuff. You got stuff, Jesus had stuff. All that stuff that he went through, he's he's not looking back at that. And and the the final 12 hours of his life, how he was beaten and mocked, they plucked his beard out and they smote him, it says, with their fist in the face, beat him on his back with that cat of nine tails, and then crucified him on the cross. He's not hanging there thinking, man, I am so glad I went through all of that so that my followers could get together for an hour a week and worship me. He did not die to change one hour of our week. He died to change the world. And he changed the world because he wasn't so tunnel vision focused on one little thing, one track mind that he ran to it. But he, he went everywhere. He went anywhere. Somebody, I asked that question the other and somebody said, anywhere. He went anywhere. Anywhere that was open to him, he went. He went everywhere, ministering and doing and, and all those things. Because it was his mission. And you see, uh, somebody said this. This is not an original thought with with me. Uh, Somebody said this a long time ago. That it's easier to die for someone else than it is to live for someone else. Okay, because think about it. When you die for someone else, you make the decision one time, you die, and it's over. You live for someone else, every day you wake up, you start having to make decisions for the rest of that day for that person you're living for. That's a lot harder than, I mean, it'd be a lot easier just, hey, d- decide I'm going to die and get it over with right now. You know, wouldn't b- it be easier? It's easier to die for somebody once than to live for somebody every single day of your life. Jesus did both. He lived for you every single day of his life. Every, t- every time he thought about anything, he was thinking about you and me. He lived for us. All of his decisions, everything he did, all that he went through, it was for us. But then he also did, he died for us too. He did both. He lived for us. And he died for us. And and, and how in the world could he do this? Because I I think it would be hard. I might could live for you a day, but it'd be hard for me to get back up the next day and do it again. Especially knowing that you're not going to appreciate me like we don't appreciate what he did. It'd be hard to do it every single day. And Jesus did it every single day. And then at the very end, he gave up his life. He died for us. How in the world did he do this? Because he believed in his mission. He believed in his mission. You were his mission, and he believed in you. Here's the question, though. Do we believe in our mission? Not just as a church, individually. Do you believe in your mission? It's a core theme here at 2911. Everyone has something awesome to do for Jesus Christ. You have mission. Do you believe in that mission? Do you believe in it enough to live for him, to, 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 to do what he's called you to do, to make it happen? Okay. We're gonna come back to Jesus in a few minutes. Let me jump to something. When the church began to spread and they began to reach out and bless, Philip was in one city in Samaria and he was doing a lot of uh, doing a lot of good works and, and praying for people and, and a lot of things were happening. I mean, demons were coming out and uh, people and everything. And Acts chapter eight is where that's listed said and, and verse eight says, "So there was great joy in that city." Now J.D. Greer I read an article by him several several months ago, and then Kristen brought it to uh, our leaders a couple of months ago. And he he saw this verse and, uh, where it says there was great joy in that city because of what the church was doing. And he said he asked, and so I want to ask you what J.D. Greer asks his church: Is there great joy in our community because of our presence here? Come on, think about it. Hmm. Is there great joy in our community because of our presence, or are we just boring? Amen? Uh, Let's bring it home, right? Is there great joy in your neighborhood, at your place of business, where you work, where you go to school? Is there great joy there because of your daily presence there, or are you just a boring Christian? Oh, goodness. Didn't know I was gonna get on your shoes with this one, or on your toes with this one, did you? Didn't know. Yeah, get on your toes just a little bit. I mean, this is exciting. It's exciting to realize what we are capable of. I, I want to show you, show that to you in just a minute. Here's where. Here's here's the setup. Before we get back to Jesus, is uh, another article I read not too long ago by by Jeff Vanderstelt. Is that his name? Jeff Vanderstelt. I said it right the first two, but didn't sound right. This third sermon, Jeff Vanderstelt. He says something I think. We'll blow some people's socks off here. Some of go, oh, I, don't, I don't know about that. Okay, hang with me here. He's trying to get us to see something. I think he shocks us just a little bit so we, so we realize this is a different idea. He says, every culture has celebrations. Your job as a Christian is to engage in celebration with those people as a Christian, as an example of true life. I mean, he, he, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying when they celebrate, you know, they go out for their birthday and they get drunk. He's not saying go get drunk with them. He is saying in the celebrations or whatever they're doing, Be involved in it, but as a true example of what real life is really all about, okay? He's saying we need to be involved in that. We don't need to be, you know, hiding out boring little Christians or whatever, staying here in our four walls. We need to get out there in their celebrations. He goes on, we ought to be known as the greatest party people on the planet. We ought to party like crazy because we actually have something to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Can I get at least a little amen here? You know, I mean, come on, think about what he's saying. He's saying, we ought to be the life of the party. Now, I know what the world thinks when they say life of the party. They're thinking about that guy that got drunk and, you know, is wearing the lampshade on his head or whatever, right? Uh, That's not what we're talking about. Remember what Jesus said? He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Okay, real life. You and I, when we go into the community, we ought to be the life of every party. We come in contact with. We ought to be the life of every conversation. We ought to be the life of every moment that we have with other people, even the t- the good ones, but even the tough ones too. Every funeral that we go to, we ought to be the life. An, an ER situation, somebody's rushed to the emergency room. We bring the life. We ought to be the life of the party and everything else that we co- become a part of in, in the world out here today. And I believe that, and again. Who's our example? In all things. So did he do this? I mean, I, that was the setup a little while ago. Is he didn't just come and run to Calvary? He was involved in people's everyday life as our example. And where did he? Anybody know where did he perform his first miracle? Where? A wedding. A wedding. Come on, you, you you're kidding me, right? A, a wedding, you know, it's kind of like you told that person that a, a baby died for their sin on the cross of Calvary. A wedding, are you serious? That's where Jesus, John chapter 2, first first two verses. On the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan, Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding, that's where he began, I mean, so uh, us armchair theologians. This is where we say Jesus began his ministry. After he was baptized in the water by John, and he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and there's a voice out of heaven, the Father, God the Father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit leads him up into the wilderness to be tempted 40 days, and then, uh, I'm sorry, fast 40 days, and he's tempted by the devil. He comes back down the mountain, and he rushes into his ministry At a wedding, you know, he doesn't, it's not Calvary, he doesn't run to Calvary, he doesn't begin it at the tomb. He doesn't even start it at church. It's at a wedding. Are you getting this? Maybe before he calls us to a lot of other things, he's just calling us to be him in the places that we already are. At a wedding is where his ministry begins. At a wedding is where his first, his very first miracle takes place. At a wedding. So let's look, let's look at this story, and let's get some truths out of it, okay? Because you need to quit being a boring Christian, all right? You, you, would, you, would you do that for you, pastor? Just quit being a boring Christian. Show people some life, the real life. Amen. Okay, so verse 3. Uh, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Okay, so the wedding ran out of wine. Okay, they have no more wine. Here's what we do. When we go into the community on mission, what we do is we supply... What is lacking? Now, she didn't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, they don't have any more wine because she knew he had a lot of money in his pocket because the family carpentry business was doing so well. That wasn't why she came to him. And and he had not performed any miracle up until this point. But she knew he was capable. And she went and said, they have a lack and what we do, and he's the example of what we are supposed to be. We are following him. We are his disciples. We are the continuation of his ministry. So, so, what he is doing is what we do. He supplied what lacks. What we are to do when we get out of the community, we are to supply what lacks. When you meet with that, that, that schoolmate that's got a tough time, when, you, when you're sitting at lunch with a co worker that's having a tough time, you are the one. What you have to offer is you supply what is lacking, whatever is lacking in their life, whatever they're struggling with. You have the answer because the way the truth and the life lives inside of you, you have the answer. And I'll give you four examples because here, this, this wine is symbolic of four things. Okay? The wine is symbolic of more than four, but I'm gonna to talk to you about four real quick. First of all, the wine is symbolic of their necessity. Um, they didn't have a whole lot of stuff to drink besides wine. Like We talked last week about the well. You know, the well was dug out in barren places. They didn't, they didn't have water just everywhere. They didn't have a tap they could go to or they could go buy bottled water just everywhere. You know, a, a Dollar General on one corner, you know, and a convenience store on the other corner. You know, they didn't have that. And so they had to have something to drink. It was necessity. This was, a, this was one of the things that was abundant in their area is they had grapes. And what's easier than, you know, stepping on a bunch of grapes, get the juice out and you can drink it, right? I know it doesn't sound real appetizing to me that way. But I mean, you know, what's, what's, you know, what's better than having something like that? Uh, you know, like you and I, we could go to the store, we could buy some oranges and squeeze them. And, you know, it'd be easy to get some. They didn't have water. This was the necessity. Okay. But take it another step. Isn't it an awesome blessing that God gave them as their necessity? You know, he could have given them ginger ale that they had to drink, you know? Now, some of you, I know you may say, you like ginger ale. No, I, mean, I just, no, I ain't never liked ginger ale. That would be been horrible, though, if, if God said, this is what you've got to drink, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you know, there's not enough water around, so here's what I'm going to give you. But instead, he gave them wine. The fruit of, you know, the grapes and, and the juice that, that comes out of the grapes. I mean, it's something that was pleasing. I mean, it was, it was awesome, you know. The, it was their necessity, but it was a blessing in their necessity because it was a good thing that God gave. That's the God I serve. I don't know about you, but that's the God I serve. He's the God that is a God. He's not a God of just enough. He's a God of more than enough. He's a God of an abundance I mean, as we were talking last week, you know, that God said, Jesus told her about the worshipers, the true worshipers. And he said, I'm going to make those, those that follow me, I'm going to make them like a wellspring. They're not just going to come and get some water to get through. They're going to be the wellspring as I'm going to be inside of them. He's a God of abundance of too much. So it sloshes out on everybody around you. You know, I, I gave illustration in the first service, you know, of, uh, about, uh, you know, how he, he, the disciples, you know, when they were fishing all night and they caught no fish, he said, throw the net on the other side. They threw it on the net. They threw it on the other side. The net filled up. And what happened? The net was so full it started to break. That was too many fish. And they pulled it onto the boat. And what happened? The boat started to sink. It was too many fish. That's the God we serve. That even in our necessity, it's too much. Or in the uh, second like service, I told about the, uh, uh, Jesus taking the uh, uh, little boy's lunch. Do you remember when he fed 5,000 people with it? So he, he takes a little basket of a lunch and he blesses it. and It, it multiplies and he feeds 5,000 families. And then what do they do? They take up the fragments and there's 12 baskets, 12 times as much left over. There's 12 times as much left over. I mean, that's the God we serve of the blessing. And then it, also, it also symbolizes joy in, in, the, in the Bible. And you know what joy is? Joy is not happiness. Happiness is based on your circumstances. Your circumstances are going to change. So that means you're going to be happy today and you might be sad tomorrow. Some of you are happy right now. You're going to be sad in five or ten minutes. Amen, or oh me, right? I mean, that because circumstances change. Joy, especially joy from the Lord is like this. It doesn't matter how good it gets or how bad it gets. There is, joy is still there and it is steady. You and I, we get to present that to people when we operate in mission. The fourth thing that wine symbolizes, I don't want to tell you about, there, there's other things as well, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit, in addition to all these other things, It symbolizes the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me back up through these real quick. Here's what happens when we operate in mission. When we operate in mission, we bring the necessity to the people who are in need. Whatever they are lacking, we bring that because because of something going on inside of us. When we operate in mission, we bring necessity, what they need, but we also bring the blessing. We bring the blessings into their life just being there because we are also filled with the blessing. We bring, when we operate a mission, we bring blessings into people's life. And we bring joy into people's life. You know, when everybody else is, is shaking their head, it ain't going to happen, wringing their hands, what in the world are we going to do? We're the ones that bring the joy but, and, and, and in the middle. And that's what they need to see in the middle of all their problems. They need to see. They need to see us that when if the whole world falls down around us, that we've still got the joy of the Lord, that we're still standing. It doesn't matter, what, you know, doesn't matter what the circumstances are doing, that we've still got the joy of the Lord, and we bring the Holy Spirit. We bring the Holy Spirit. Listen, when they have problems or questions or troubles out there in the world, your coworkers, your schoolmates, your family, your friends, they can find someone to give them a word, even give them a scripture. And those things are important. I'm not downplaying those. They can find someone to give them a word, give them a scripture. Even give them a plan. A lot of people out there got a plan, got an idea, got three steps for you, whatever. But what they need is they need someone that can give them the power of God. That in the middle of all the stuff going on, they don't just feel better about it because I got a word that actually brings the power of God. And here's where you and I are: is when we are operating in mission. We bring all of these things into every situation we come into if we're operating a mission because of the authority of the name of Jesus Christ and because of the power of the Holy Spirit that he wants to infill every one of us with to enable us, Jesus said, you will be endued with power from on high for service. He wants to use you to step into situations and just like Jesus turned a wedding party, I mean, my goodness, he's going to work a miracle here, turn that upside down, he wants us to be able to do it, do it as well. Jesus couldn't even go to a wedding and be normal. Then if you're his child, if you're his disciple, if you're his follower, stop being normal. Quit being boring. It's time for us to get into mission and bring what is lacking to the people around us. Verse 4, right? Verse 4, let's go on. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus is talking to his mom here and Y'all don't get mad at Jesus. This is just the way, I don't know, they talk. I know I, I would have gotten spanked probably for saying something like that. Am my, my woman? What you know, called, But this, this is just kind of the way they talk, I guess, back then. Jesus replied, my hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She had no idea what he was going to do. She, or she would have said, listen, he's going to tell you to do so and so. She didn't know. But that was enough for her. It appears, you know, she said, do whatever he tells you. She walked off. She knew it was going to be handled. She didn't know what was going to happen. She didn't know if maybe he was going to create Chocolate milkshakes. He was going to invent them, create them right there the first time. She didn't know what they were, but she, you know, that's the kind of faith she had. That he is about to do something better than you and I can even imagine. Just do whatever he tells you to do. You know what she was doing? She was bringing the same thing that you and I bring into the situations we go in into this world. When we are on mission, we bring anticipation. We bring faith. We bring hope. And when the rest of the world, when they've given up hope, we bring the hope into the situation again. When they're talking to us and they said, I just don't have any hope anymore, we bring the hope. When they doubt and they question and they say, it's not going to happen, I just don't say, we bring the faith again. And when they say, there's only, there's only one way for this to turn out, it's going to be bad. No, we bring the anticipation of something greater than you and I can even imagine. That's what we bring when we're on mission. That's what she brought Verse uh, 6, nearby stood six stone water jars. Nearby, it's important. The kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each, gallon for, uh, hold, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill those jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. L- th- those jars over there in the corner, guys, go get those. These were only used at times, so they were no doubt old. Probably being used and then sitting over there just kind of, knocking up against each other water. Some of them were chipped, maybe broken. They were empty. They were dry. And Jesus said, guys, let's fill them. They brought the water jars and they filled them with water. And this, this is a true story of something happened, but Jesus is giving us an illustration you know, just like last week, you know, he's he standing there by the, the well, and the woman walks up, and he said, uh, okay, let's talk about water. That's a, that's a good way for me to explain it. And now here we stand. He is, he is doing a miracle right here, but he's also giving us an example to understand what it is we do. You know, and something occurred to me. It occurred to me that instead of using those over there in the corner, he could have used the ones that they just emptied. Right? I mean, they, they drank all the wine in those other jars. He could say, okay, bring the jars, guys. But then he didn't do that. He chose the chipped ones, the broken ones, the forgotten ones, the ones stuck off in a corner that hadn't been wet in a long time, dry and barren. And he said, let's fill them. And to me and you, he's saying, let's fill them with living water and they brought them over and they filled them to the brim. You and I, when we are on mission, we bring fullness to the empty. We bring healing to the broken. We bring purpose to the forgotten. That's what we do on mission. Come on, quit being bored. Man, let's get to mission because we are, we are awesome. You are boring when you don't operate, but you are awesome when you operate in mission. You are awesome. Last set of scriptures. Uh, This is verse 8 through 10. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. Now the master of the banquet did not realize where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water out, they knew where it came from. Then this master of the banquet called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. When we operate on mission, we bring the best to everything we do. When we're on mission, we always bring the best. We do. I don't know if you've ever been in relief efforts somewhere, like Katrina or something like that. You know, we were we were very involved in that. And you know, if if you talk to people who lead those things, like government or the people that are hurting, let me tell you who they brag on. They brag on the churches. You know, we, I guess part of it's because we don't have as much red tape and government organization stuff I had to go through. I mean, all, we just raise money, grab some stuff, go down and start hugging people and ministering, you know? you know? Maybe that's the reason, but the reason is, is we don't just show up and say, fill out a form. We say, hey, what do you need? And we hand it to them. And we're there not just with a gift, but we're there with the love and we're there with the compassion. We bring the best in every situation. When we're on mission, we bring the best. I don't think you understand that. When you're home mission, just walking into a situation, you're bringing the best. You know, uh, and and, and it hit me this week the Bread of Life Orphanage that we're doing the the, the, uh, uh, shoebox, Christmas shoebox thing for. Man, you you need to do that. You need to be a part of that. Because I don't know if you've done the math or not, but we tell you, I mean, they've only got room for about 80 kids there. We're doing 144 boxes, and there are a lot more churches than us involved in this. They need thousands of boxes. Why do they need thousands of boxes? I've only got 80 kids. Because they're not just ministering to them. Y'all remember this God that is about abundance and not just barely enough or whatever. You know, what they're doing, they've got feeding centers. All over, as, as some of the people have gone on our missions trip that were actually there, they've got feeding centers all over Romania. They're feeding kids that, that, that it is their one meal every day to come to the feeding center, of the Bread of Life Orphanage. And so, what they're going to do is they're going to take these boxes also to all those feeding centers. They're just going to drive up and down the streets of the cities of Romania and just and find the street children, kids that don't even really have a place to sleep tonight, much less have a Christmas present to open up and hand it and put it in their hands. They're, they're doing this kind of thing uh, we've helped them we, we, we helped them buy some uh, farm tools and things back uh, because they plant a garden every year uh, 18 months ago spring of last year we helped them plant a, an orchard and so you know what they do with the with the vegetables and the fruit that they get yeah they feed the kids in the orphanage but there's only 80 of them plus the workers they take this food and they and they take it to to the widows who are in the cities that have been abandoned by their kids who've left the country to find jobs they take it to the. There's a leper colony not far from them. They take it up to the leper colony. And if you remember, you, you saw pictures of uh, after their potato harvest. You saw a picture. They they do this with other stuff too. They actually take take the the vegetables and the fruit also to the state run orphanages. The government doing the same job they're doing, but yet. They are so blessed because of the connection they've got with us and other churches that they've got enough that they even bless the government-run orphanages with the stuff. Why? Because when we come in in mission, we bring the best. And because that we are called into mission by Jesus Christ and through his authority and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So anytime we operate in mission, we always bring the best. Amen. So put a smile on your face. Quit acting like we ain't got We got it, man. You've got it. Stand with me. Come to the front. Come on, let's close this service this morning right down here. We, if you're a first-time attender, we'd like to close with a final, uh, just a final prayer and a final song. Come on, let's close down here this morning. We bring the best. Man, you are the best. You are the best. Oh, I dropped my Tic Tac. <laughs> Must have been hiding that one for something later. Okay, when you come down the front, a lot of times i got one last thing up there for you. I don't have anything up there for you, but I want to share this with you. Here, here, here's, here's what God gave me. This is the purpose of the closing prayer this morning. Y'all know what a commissioning is? Come on, step in just a little bit so we can get people out of the aisle, aisle if we can. Y'all know what a commissioning is? It's like you have your mission. Now I'm commissioning you to get out there and do it. You know what your mission is? Not just, this, okay, all the stuff that we do, but like the focus of your mission, where it is and the people. You know what your mission is? If you don't know where your mission is, that's the first thing you got to do, right? So uh, we kind of, we, we finally came up with it. I couldn't remember what the old show was, but it's Hill Street Blues. Yeah, and that's, I think I maybe saw it a couple of times. But I think one of the things about the show was it always started with that roll call briefing in the morning where the police chief or sergeant or whoever he was kind of told everybody, okay, here's where you're serving or you're on this or here's something I need to be looking for whatever. It's kind of a briefing because you got to figure out what your mission is before you can be commissioned so you need to figure out what your mission is and, and, and I can't tell you I'm, I'm not the police chief up here that's got all the answers this morning but the Holy Spirit's here and the Holy Spirit can tell you what your mission is and I'll, I'll give you a clue here, here's a good place to start if you have no idea think about the people that you are around every day of your life that God has if God orders the steps of the righteous who are the people you're around Especially the chipped and broken, the empty and barren, the forgotten. That might be a good clue to what your mission is. And when you operate in mission every day of your life, remember all this stuff, you bring, you bring it. You are the life of every party, every conversation, every good, every bad event. You are the life if you operate in a mission. Bow with me. Jamie, lead us when you can.